from the Gospel according to John. No one has gone up to heaven except the one who has come down from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the verdict, that the light came into the world, but people preferred darkness to light, because their works were evil. But everyone who does, for everyone who does wicked things, hates the light and does not come toward the light, so that his works might not be exposed. But whoever lives the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be clearly seen as done in God. The word of God for the world. This is going to be a conversational sermon. I'm up here rather than down there because of a little microphone difficulties. The third chapter of John is a rather familiar one, I think, to most of us. And in order to understand uh, the passage that has just been read for us, I think we need to look at the earlier part of this chapter. It's a story about a Pharisee in conversation with Jesus. This is a little different kind of interaction between Jesus and Pharisees. This Pharisee named Nicodemus had heard Jesus. He'd seen him in action. And there was something that troubled him. He didn't fit the kind of image of Messiah, and, and yet the things that he said, the things that he did, raised questions. And so he decided that he would get some clarification. And so one night he came to Jesus hoping to find some answers. Well, he didn't get exactly what he had anticipated getting. Jesus started talking to him about being born again. And that made absolutely no sense. You see, he was locked into the physical realm. He could not move beyond the physical into the realm of the spiritual. He wanted to know who Jesus was, what was he about, and yet 
he couldn't grasp what Jesus said. And so Jesus said to him, understand, God finally had to come to live with you in order to understand what he really wished to do for you, how he wanted to relate to you. And Jesus said, let me try another approach. You're a teacher of the law. You're familiar with the Old Testament text. You remember that text about the time that those whiny Israelites were complaining not only against Moses but against God. And you remember what happened? That was the passage that was read for us earlier. And the question I want to raise at this point is, how does this passage about whiny people and snakes <laughs> help us understand who Jesus is and what his ministry is? What do you think? I have a question. <laughs> is Jesus the bronze snake? Please disregard this question if it is too heretical in nature <laughs> for the sermon. No, I think uh, what Jesus is saying is that there's a, there's a message here. Can you understand what happened back then in the wilderness? Can you understand what happened when God's people were in a big mess? They were rebelling against God. They were confronting poisonous snakes. And out of compassion, God through Moses said, I'll give you a way out. Moses, go fashion a serpent. And when the people looked at the serpent, even though they've been bitten, they will live. I think we have a comment over here. I was just going to say, the, the, servant, the serpent pardon me, was the symbol of God's forgiveness, and Jesus Christ is a symbol of God's forgiveness. And therefore, they, but what's interesting is how, we don't know how many people actually looked and believed and so the first ones who looked and believed probably shocked a lot because they were healed. Yeah. Um, Here comes the mic. Does, does this have anything to do with the serpent in Genesis? What do you think? I asked first. <laughs> and the one who led tempted into sin is there a, some sort of different symbolism about the snake in the desert good question Charles has 
we uh, might want to relate uh, the serpent in the wilderness to the medical sign. It, you know, the sign of healing has the serpent around it. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are always a lot of whiny people, and there's always a lot of snakes. <laughs> and, I <th> <laughs> and I think that one of the things that happens is that we, we can whine and we can complain, and the things that we don't see can hurt us if we don't embrace them. And I think that that's part of the message as well. I wonder if we have to see ourselves the way we are before we can come to Christ. I'd like to think that part of that um, provides us with the ability to put our worst fears, the things that poison us, um, on a cross to be crucified, to see beyond our personal fears and, and to the healing of Christ. Other insights? Well, after he introduces this uh, passage that uh, surely Nicodemus remembers, uh, he says something about uh, God's the magnitude of God's love for the world. How would you characterize the magnitude of God's love for the world? We're talking about people. You know, it, it was that verse you were talking about a while ago. Yeah, yeah. How, how, how would you characterize the magnitude of God's love for the world, for the, for those of us who dwell here in this world? I, I don't know that, <clears throat> no, I do know that I do not have words in my vocabulary to characterize that. And I know that from my own experience. Um, the fact that we are here living and breathing and the way the, the people of this world have, have made choices about <laughs> what we're doing and what we say is okay. And, and we're not just gone to smithereens. Um, I, I think one word that comes to mind is patience. I have never known a love more patient mm. than that of God. So my kid, my, the twins in school, they have a disciplinary system in their classroom where they clip up colors 
or clip down colors based on their behavior. And my kids are obsessed with this, which kind of freaks me out a little bit because I, I don't know if talking about their behavior all the time is the best thing, but I always tell them that when they wake up and when they go to bed, they're always on purple. All, and purple's the highest color you can get. You know, that's when you get a treat from the treat box. <laughs> but they are always on purple, and it doesn't matter what they do. They can't get their clip moved down in God's sight because they will always be on purple. And that, that's maybe oversimplification, but that's how I've seen it so far with my kids. Fourth grade, is Second, Lisa, in saying it is not in language. There are no words in language to get anywhere near describing what it's about. I mean, we each have our own experiences of it, but to say that we characterize it by using language is an impossibility. I think the love of God is here, and it is so radical that there, initially, there is not enough language to describe it, and I think as humans evolve, and as we become more and more sophisticated, our language evolves to continually describe the love of God. So the love of God is progressive, and that our language evolves to continually describe this phenomenon and that's where the circle continues to get wider and wider is because our knowledge base continues to expand and we continue to articulate the love of God in new ways because our, our knowledge base and we is expanding and we have new ways of describing the love of God linguistically. Uh, I think that sounds really wonderful. <laughs> But I'm inclined not to agree <laughs> um, because I'm, I'm, I don't think we can understand. I don't think we can fathom this. And that that's where this whole faith thing comes in, that we just have to keep walking and keep our eyes on the right thing. Moses holding up the snake, Jesus' words, whatever that, and put our trust in God. And again, I think our model is God keeps having faith in us, and that's completely unexpected because we so don't deserve that. I think as, as we keep whining and, and putting the next snake on the pole, that, um, that our words of assurance that we said this morning, um, there's more grace in God than sin in us, than than that we understand that every time we put our snake in the light. I, I think the opposite. I think God's love is simple. And here's how simple it is. No matter what my children do, no matter how often they disappoint me, I love them endlessly. And I think God's love is the exact same way. God loves us as he loves children, and we are all, and I mean all, his children. And we disappoint him, and we don't do what he expects, but he never stops loving us. And that is the pure pa parent-to-child love. 
we have to take what Bill said a little bit farther. I was struck because Lisa taught on John 3.16 how God loves his son. And when Lisa started talking about love, she never once said Holly. That's because God's love is bigger than the way we love our children. And that is what's mind-blowing to me. more comment on that. When I was in one of the worst times of my life, God gave me a picture of loving my children and me like a million moms. I have been wont to say that the most significant concepts with which we deal defy definition. Uh, the first question I would ask my students when they came to introductory biology class was define life. <laughs> Can't be done. Nor can love be defined. It can only be experienced. And I agree our vocabulary is incompetent, incapable of characterizing the love of God. Josh just said agrees. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Jesus goes on to say something about his purpose not being judgment. Why did he come? Did he come to tell us how naughty we were? Ah. Yes. Uh, well. Anthropos, not andros. <laughs> being the Greek generic for a human being, uh, not a male person. Everybody here? Restoration. Okay. He came to tell us we're purple. <laughs> we live in a world where so many binaries define us. I think of the binary of man and woman. I think of the binary of good and bad. I think one of the things that, for me, uh, the reason I believe that God came, he came to erase binaries. He God, for me, is transgressive. He eliminates binaries altogether. God says, I came that they might have life and have it to the full. So many times what we are in our daily existence is just that, existing. But we're really not living life as he, as God would have planned it. 
as God hopes for it to be, uh, full of joy. Going back to what Josh was talking about with binaries, um, we, we saw a, a film that gave me a lot of hope called Three Billboards. I'm not recommending it because it's full of really awful language. But the wonderful thing about that movie is that every character was good and awful. And there w you kept looking for, okay, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? And you go through the movie, this will emerge, this will emerge. It never did. And, it, it, you know, that's not, where, that's not your movie formula that sells movies. But it really brought up an important spiritual point where there's good in us all, we're all on purple, and we're all not on purple, and we, we tend to project our evil on each other rather than acknowledging, acknowledging it in ourselves. So, you know, even the binary of good and evil, in a way, is a little bit nebulous. There's a binary in the conclusion of this passage. It talks about light and darkness and says uh, we are inclined toward darkness. Uh, what do you think about our inclination toward darkness? know I would say that inclined toward darkness is because I trust in myself. happens when you get in the bright light? Okay, my hand went up before the bright light, so I'm not going to explain that. <laughs> um, I think there's a lot that's enticing about the shadow because we can hide so much of ourselves. And if we get all psychological on this, we each have a shadow where we hide parts of ourselves, and that's what we project out on others. And I think this is about facing ourselves as well as facing God to come out into the light and that's the way of healing and I think it's interesting that Nicodemus came in the night mm -hmm. yeah you want to elaborate on that there's been a lot there's been a lot of speculation why do you think Nicodemus came at night the writer was not making it a literal night at least by itself Was he hedging his bets? <laughs> or was he breaking ranks with his fellow Pharisees? What do you think? I'm, 
I'm not very learned, even though my daddy was a, a pastor for 40 years. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm with Kathleen. Being in the light, uh, it, it, it puts us out there. It puts us out in front of everybody, and it, and it kind of goes back to what I was hoping to help the kids understand is that we watch each other, and when we're in the light, we become shepherds whether we want to be or not. We become shepherds to whomever to whoever can see us. And, um, and I, I know that from, from being a teacher, you never know what impact you're going to have on a person. And 15 or 20 years later, somebody comes back whose name you don't even know, who, who remember details about how they were treated in, in the classroom. The, the sign that was within the past few years, I think, that brought home to me the love of Christ is when the church was shot up down in Charleston, that congregation came forth and said, we hold no animosity towards this person. In fact, we love this person. He made a mistake, but we do not not love this person who did it. I agree with Josh with the non-binary nature of Jesus and ourselves. I don't think we are in the dark and move to the light and stay in the light. I think that we have a lot of fluidity back and forth between the two, that um, there are still things that I can only really speak for myself, but I'm probably not that uncommon. There are things that we want to keep in the dark and we hide those things in the shadows. And then there are times that we want to be a shepherd because we feel that we're doing good things and would like those to be um, a beacon to others and we move into the light and there's a constant flow. There's a final statement in this passage. It reads, those who live by the truth come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that God is in all that they do. What does that statement say to you? Those who live by the truth come to the light so that they may be clearly it may be clearly seen that God is in all that they do. sort of wonder seen by whom and, and that and I'm thinking still of what Terry said is that I'm not sure we're the ones who recognize who in the, when we're in the light and when we're in the dark or if, if other observers may have a better picture of that me, the universal truth of Jesus is radical love. It's a love so radically that he loves everyone. Everything else for me, truth, is subjective. There is subjective truth because we are created so differently that we have different truths, and that's okay. 
So for me, this radical truth of Jesus is, that, that is seen for us is that we are radically loving everyone else. Everything else, the truths that we all may adhere to, are different. And for me, from my perspective, that's okay. So the main truth that I think that we have is, are we showing the radical love of Jesus being accepting and embracing every, everyone else, making that circle wider? We, we know that uh, we are not to judge, and that's uh, God's privilege, and uh, we should give it to him. But we also have to judge uh, things that are not to be judged later. Who are we to be with? And uh, yes, he murdered somebody. We we uh, we strongly disagree with what he did. We don't know what he's going to be when Jesus is through teaching him to be better. So we have a, a, a bit of everything. I think that stepping to the light is that moment when we feel called to witness or sh and, and uh, by that I don't just mean talking it may be action um, for uh, be a witness of this love and that I think that we're all called to be like Christ to be little Christ and let let our light shine, as the, the little song says, and that that's what this is talking about. I've often, often said that it's an, an audacious thing to call oneself a Christian. That name originated in Antioch, and it wasn't originated in the church. It was originated by those outside the church who observed the lives of the members of the church. Perhaps being called to the light means being called to follow Jesus. Being called to follow his example. And that example is ultimate love. It's quite true. The love of Jesus knew no limitations. None were excluded. I don't know how Nicodemus emerged from this conversation but hopefully we will emerge from this conversation prepared to be luminaries prepared to allow the light and love of Jesus 
to radiate from us. That his light may be seen wherever we are.